Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we're in week 28 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we're going to be talking about questions 75, 76, and 77. And what we're going to do this week is we're going to shift our focus from the ordinance of baptism to the ordinance of communion, or what we call the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper is a very simple meal. It's a, it's a meal of bread and wine taken throughout our life of faith. And each time we eat it, we are to remember our Lord. It's one of the simplest definitions I could give you. When we eat this meal, uh, we are to remember His body and His blood. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus doesn't just want us to remember these things. He doesn't just want us to remember that He died for us as an exercise of our mind. In reality, He's given us bread to eat. He's given us wine to drink. He's given us bread which we can see, which we can touch and smell and taste. He's given us wine also in the same way. And these elements do more than just engage our memory in a, in a very real sense, they make the sacrifice of Christ come alive. Jesus has given us a meal that we can sink our teeth into. And as we do this, we remember. We remember Him. We remember our sin. We remember the price that He paid for our salvation. So it's a meal. It's an ordinance that has such rich meaning. Uh, and so today, that's what we're going to be talking about. And really, to get our uh, discussion going, I want to ask a question. Why a meal? With so many different options open and available to us for how God could have reminded us of these things and helped us to kind of uh, remember them in a tangible fashion, why did he choose a meal? Why did God give us a meal to teach us and to remind us of his loving and saving grace? And I think part of the answer is that God has made us in such a way that meals specifically have a powerful way of teaching us certain truths that God wants us to learn and never forget. I mean, not only the fact that we are continually dependent upon food as sustenance to keep us alive, but also there's a, there's a spiritual element to it. And let me explain what I'm talking about. Uh, if we open our Bibles, we, we see the explanation of how the world and the universe and, and all of our uh, creation, all of creation, came into being. The Bible opens with... Um, God making everything, and then it shifts to this focus upon Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're not just in the garden alone. They're in the garden with uh, other members of creation, with the, the, the plants and the trees and the animals, and God is there with them in the garden. At least that's how we're supposed to understand something that's going on in that story. God used to walk with them in the cool of the morning. The garden is filled with food, and God tells them, that they can eat of the fruit of every tree that is in the garden, save one. So if you think about it, in a sense, the Bible begins, it opens up with a meal. God with his people, and they are eating a meal together in the place God has made for them. So before the fall, Adam and Eve ate their meals in God's presence. But when they sinned, that celebration of fellowship around food came to an end, and they were no longer able to come into God's presence at all, much less to come into His presence to eat. So no more eating in the presence of God. That's one of the results of the fall into sin. But if you fast forward a little bit in the story, you realize that God doesn't want it to stay that way. You fast forward to the time of the Exodus, and you see that God has a plan 
to redeem his people from their slavery and to bring them back into his presence. And he kicks off this redemptive event um, by telling his people to eat a meal. It's a meal of roasted lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. And it's the meal that would come to be known as the Passover meal. And this meal had deep meaning. The unleavened bread was a symbol of the fact that uh, the Israelites didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. Their salvation from God would come quickly. The herbs reminded them of the bitterness of their captivity from which Yahweh was saving them. And then the lamb reminded them of the sacrifice that was made for their sin. And when they brushed the blood onto the door, it was a symbol that the judgment of God would pass over them because their sins were covered by blood. Now, they were told to eat this meal year after year to remember God's saving work. And they would teach this to their children generation after generation. Right? So the, so the bigger picture of what's going on here is that sin pushed the people out of the garden. It was God's sacrifice that then brings them back in. Because after this, the Israelites are going to be ushered into the promised land. A tabernacle is going to be established, and they are able to come back into the presence of God. But each year, they're still supposed to eat this meal. So this Passover meal was a meal filled with hope that one day God's people would once again eat in his presence. So why a meal? Well, because God's plan is to bring us back into fellowship with him, much like the fellowship that we enjoyed in the garden. He's going to bring us back to his table because he wants us to have fellowship with him. And the meal is what we enjoy together But it's also, interestingly enough, it's the way back in. When Israel ate the Passover meal, they were rehearsing the day when they would sit with God, remembering the bitterness of their lives apart from Him, and celebrating the sacrifice that brought them home. Now, let's fast forward again from the garden onto the Exodus and now onto the New Testament. Now, we see Jesus eating the Passover meal, remembering all of these things we just talked about, and he's eating it with his disciples. But in the middle of the meal, he changes some things. In the middle of what is called the Passover Seder, Jesus broke the script, and he picked up a thin slice of unleavened bread, uh, and he started to break it up and give it to his disciples. And instead of saying uh, what was commonly said year after year, instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction that your fathers ate, Jesus said to the disciples, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he picked up the cup, the third cup, and he passed it to them, telling them that this cup marked the new covenant sealed by his blood. And this was strange language. Why why is Jesus' body going to be broken for us? Why is there a need for a new covenant? Well, those are the questions that they were asking. And and Jesus' changing of the script shows that, that things are changing. He is transforming this meal, but he's also transforming our understanding of how we relate to God. This meal, this Passover meal, is no longer to be a celebration to remember that Old Testament Passover. It is now a meal done in remembrance of Jesus himself who took in his body the punishment of our sins. He bore it to the cross and he died in our place. You see, Jesus has forever changed the way we understand the Passover. The lambs used in Egypt and for thousands of years after the Exodus were all pointing to one final lamb whose sacrifice would put an end to all sacrifices. But these two redemptive events are tied together. One of them is fulfilling the other. 
Uh, and just as the Israelites watched helplessly as God saved them from their bondage, so too Christians watch helplessly as Christ rescues us from our bondage to sin. And when we eat the meal of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering His work on our behalf. So, that's a little bit of a historical theological background. But, but let's ask the questions that Heidelberg wants us to ask. When we eat the Lord's Supper, what is going on? Question 75 asks this way. How is it signified and sealed to you in the Holy Supper that you partake of the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross and all his benefits? And here's the answer. That Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him and has joined therewith these promises. So this is what we are receiving. This is what we are remembering. This is what we are focusing on. First, that his body was offered and broken on the cross for me and his blood shed for me. As certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me, and further, that with his crucified body and shed blood, he himself feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life, as certainly as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord which are given me as certain tokens of the body and blood of Christ. So the Lord's Supper if I could summarize all of that and try to put it into some summary points, the Lord's Supper functions in two ways. When we gather to eat it as a church, it should serve as a reminder of our identity as recipients of God's grace and mercy. So the Lord's Supper is an identity-shaping meal. It helps us to know who we are. I mean, when we come to the table, we are once again accepting the fact that our only hope of being right with God and of having a seat at His table is through the broken body and shed blood of His Son. It's a constant reminder. The Lord's Supper brings us to a place of humility before God because it, every time we eat it, it should remind us that we bring nothing to the table but our need, and Christ supplies everything that we need. And so the Lord's Supper is an identity-shaping meal, but the Lord's Supper is also an identity-declaring meal. Not only are we recognizing our inner desperation, but we are declaring that desperation along with everyone else in the congregation. When we gather around the table, it's like we're looking around at everyone in the eye and saying that my need is just like yours and my hope is just like yours. We are rehearsing the gospel, not just as individuals, but as a people. And and here's the reality. There is no room for arrogance at the Lord's table. The man, here's a quote from Martin Luther, the man who has learned to view himself as a great sinner before God will not see himself as a Lord among men, but as a beggar telling other beggars where to find food. And that's what we're remembering. That's what's happening when we're seeing the Lord's Supper shape our identity and having the Lord's Supper um, be a declaration of our identity. Now, question 76 helps point this out to us. Question 76, what does it mean to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? Well, the answer is it means not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ and thereby to obtain the forgiveness of sins and life eternal, but moreover, also to be so united more and more to his sacred body by the Holy Spirit who dwells both in Christ and in us that although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are nevertheless flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, and live and are governed forever by one spirit as members of the same body are governed by one soul. So the supper 
it's not just an individual exercise in remembering. It's, it's a corporate exercise in remembering that we are united to Jesus in every facet of our lives. Uh, it, it's, this meal strengthens our faith. We are remembering, reminding our hearts that Jesus died for all of us. He was raised to show that our salvation is complete. And by faith in him, our sins are forgiven. Eternal life is ours. We are his. Uh, Wayne Grudem, in his chapter, his systematic theology, his chapter on the Lord's Supper, he says this very well. He says, as I take the bread and cup for myself, by my actions, I am proclaiming, I need you, I trust you. Lord Jesus, to forgive my sins and give me life and health to my soul. For only by your broken body and shed blood can I be saved. And and as we partake of the breaking of the bread and eat and the pouring out of the cup and we drink, we are proclaiming again and again that our sins were part of the cause of Christ's suffering and death. But at the same time, there is joy and thanksgiving and love because this supper reminds us that we are united to Jesus. We are united to him. Question 77. Where has Christ promised that he will feed and nourish believers with his body and blood as certainly as they eat the broken bread and drink the cup? In other words, how do we know that we're not just eating a little piece of bread and drinking a little bit of wine or juice? How do we know that there's some spiritual reality here? How do we know that this is important and that this is um, helpful in nourishing our faith and our souls? Well, here's the answer. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, which says, The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then there's a second half to the answer. And this is promise. Uh, I'm sorry. And this promise is also repeated by the Apostle Paul, where he says that the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not communion of the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, so we, being many, are one body. We are all partakers of the one bread. And so the Lord's Supper, this is just teaching us what Jesus taught and what the New Testament taught. The Lord's Supper is for us a celebration of remembering the work of Christ. We're not just eating a little bit of bread. We're not just taking Baptist snack together. We are remembering, we are focusing our attention and our faith on Christ and and His work. The Supper is a reminder that a new covenant has been struck between God and His people, and it is secured by Jesus' blood that cannot fail. So the supper is a memorial of all that Christ died to accomplish. And, And that means forgiveness and eternal life for us. So each time we eat the bread and each time we drink the cup, each time we taste these things, each time we put them into our mouths, we are remembering our Lord and we are declaring our unity, not only to one another, but to Him as His blood bought people. You see, unlike the Passover meal and others that we see in the Old Testament, Jesus doesn't just give us specific details on when to observe the Lord's Supper. Every time we do this, we're remembering all of these things. And we as a church, we take communion once each month. We do that on the first Sunday of the month, and we do it in worship. And Jesus tells us that as often as we do this, all of this meaning, all of this richness, all of this truth, all of this history, all of this theology should flood our hearts and minds and help us to understand that this meal is a reminder that God is for us 
and that our salvation is secure, not because of our work, but because of His. I hope this has been helpful for you. Next week, we're going to continue to study the ordinances. We're going to look at this a little bit differently, but we're going to continue to look at this. And I hope you'll join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 29, questions 78 and 79. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstone Wiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.